The following podcast contains assloads of spoilers. We here at Two Nerdskis in a Podcast are firm believers in preserving all the surprises of a genuine film viewing experience. And Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time. Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ruby, ever dance with the devil in the pale Inconceivable! Cowabunga. I thought this was a party! It's two Nerskies and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. All right, well, hello, 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 and welcome to a fine Saturday special here at Two Nerdskies in a Podcast. You know, it's the one show where two nerdskies like to come together and talk about everything pop culture and entertainment. Of course, as always, this is Eric. All right, I'm, I'm fucking Jeff. Let's, let's, let's talk about this fucking movie. All right. Oh, right indeed. Um, before so, we do the full disclosure, real quick. We're going to spoil the say, fuck out of this thing. Yes, we are. So... Um, so we are talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife, and normally we would give a uh, spoiler-free at the top of this, but in order to talk about this movie, we have to go full of spoilers. Um, so, um, so I'm just going to say it right now: if anyone is listening to this and has not watched the movie, don't go forward. Please go watch it. Get the fuck out of here. Go watch the movie and then come back. I was just being more polite. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> so, but yes, please go watch the movie. Who the fuck said I was polite? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go watch the movie first and then uh, come on back and listen to us talk. But anyways, Jeff. Um, so yeah, so it's funny that we're talking about this movie because, you know, we talked about it in our Ghostbusters installment, how, you know, the first Ghostbusters is really kind of lightning in a bottle, if it, if it were. Like, it's really the kind of movie that really... It should not have worked. It should not have yeah. worked, and yet it worked perfectly. And then, and then you know, it, it it it's and it's like everyone goes back to that first movie. Like barely anyone. I mean, people do. The second movie does have its fans. Like, and I think yeah. rightfully so. I mean, like I've only watched it once, and that was very recently. And I actually did like it. Um. And I'm sure we'll talk about Ghostbusters 2 at some point, but I was just like, but like, I mean, I can kind of understand where people don't like the movie. I do genuinely think it's actually a lot of fun. I can, I can understand it, why some people may not have some nice things to say about it, but you know, so then of course people wanted a third Ghostbusters film for the longest time. And, and as you probably heard us talk about, of course, you know, there was all this development hell and everything, Harold Ramis and, and uh, Bill Murray couldn't seem to meet eye to eye on each on everything or whatnot. Bill Murray wanted maybe Bill Murray was too big or to do this or whatnot. I mean, it it, it was really the uh, the beef they that developed during the making of Groundhog Day that kind of right kinda yeah. put a put a split between them and and actually uh, they didn't they didn't see each other until Harold Ramis was on his deathbed and. And actually, it was Brian Doyle Murray who persuaded Bill to go see him before he passed away. Is Brian Bill's son by any chance? Brother. Brother. Okay. 
Okay. Wasn't he also, I was thinking too, wasn't he also on SNL at some point? I could have been. I think so. Uh, I think he, yeah, I think he had a small role in uh, Ghostbusters 2 also. Right. Yeah, I think so too. Because that, so then, well, I guess, well, prior to that, prior to their reunion, they did kind of reunite for the video game, which was, in my opinion, was before this happened, was the third official movie. And I think it was a nice little like, I think it I think for what for what may have been for the third movie, this was it. And I think it worked really well. Like, you know, the chemistry is all still there and everything. The, the Ghostbusters are playing off each other brilliantly. They're expanding on the lore that was established in the first movie and also in the second movie, too. Not by much, but still like they gave an explanation to where did all the slime come from or whatnot. It turns out it came from evil evo shandor's castle like in the middle of the hudson river that sunk like centuries ago or yeah centuries ago or whatnot and then you get to um you get to unfortunately Hill ramus's passing and it seems like well there's no why bother continuing the franchise but then sony decided uh we need to cash in so they decided to make a reboot um which and it was an all-female-led film um unfortunately it did bomb um, because people felt that it was a, or, for, or fortunately, depending on who you ask. I mean, yes, but I mean, like, but the truth, but the truth of the matter is, is people felt that it was disrespectful to Harold Ramis. People thought that it was just a cheap tie-in. A, a it, cheap cash it was, in. it was the timing that put a lot of people, myself included off. It's like you go through this development, this crazy development cycle. And then the moment someone so prominent prominently tied to the franchise passes away oh now we know exactly what to do that always rubbed me the wrong way and honestly it's if all they did was just continue from from the second movie and just say hey these are the daughters of the ghostbusters and we're gonna pass the torch to the next generation i wouldn't have given it i wouldn't i wouldn't give a shit I would, right. give, I would give it an honest-to-God shot. and But the fact that they went out of their way to say that the other movies didn't happen, we're, gonna, we're basically going to strong-arm the original cast into returning for awkward cameos. We're just going to remake the first movie, essentially. It's like they every creative decision they could have possibly made was the wrong one. And... I still have not seen it. I really don't want to see it. I've seen clips and it's it's unfucking watchable for for me personally. Uh, I mean if if you like it, more power to you. You know, don't I'm just some asshole on a podcast. Like don't take my opinion too seriously. Like go like go fucking enjoy it. Like you do you. But after that came out, came and went I just thought that was it. I just legitimately thought there was nothing. There's nothing you can really go after that. And especially just, especially with Bill Murray, you know, just seeing how miserable he looked during all those interviews. uh, I just kind of thought, all right, well that, that was a depressing way to go out, but you know, whatever you always got, you always got the first two movies and then out of fucking nowhere, there was no prior announcement. A little teaser trailer drops 
and it's it's just showing this little farmhouse and you hear a familiar Elmer Bernstein soundtrack and then this little this little tarp flies open and you see the Ecto-1 under, underneath. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? And then they announce Jason Reitman is directing the next installment of Ghostbusters and it's going to be and it's going to stay in continuity with the first two films. And I just lost my fucking mind. Like that sounded like, and uh, I think at the time he released a statement where, uh, where he said that, you know, when I was a kid, I saw my father directing these two movies. So in a way I kind of consider myself the first Ghostbusters fan. And I just kind of thought, what a unique perspective in terms of in terms of the director of what he could bring to to this franchise. And I'd always tried to maintain a sense of cautious optimism. You know, I because at that point so little information was known and then they they announced that you know they announced the, the initial cast you know Finn Wolfhard, Carrie Coon, uh, uh, McKenna Grace we'll we'll talk about her. Um and I just thought okay cool cool. Didn't have any information on the returning cast, but then then they announced uh you know Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, Sigourney Weaver and the big lingering question was Bill Murray. And then they said he was in it. Then the first trailer drops and I'm, I'm loving the tone because what I love, uh, cause from the get go, I wanted something different. I wanted this movie to help create its own identity and immediately the change in, in location taking it out of the city of New York because initially during the development of Ghostbusters two, they wanted, I think they were going to take the, uh, they were going to take the, they were going to take the boys to a haunted castle in Scotland, I believe. Uh, but that, but that idea was later dropped. And I always thought that was such a missed opportunity to take, uh, to take these characters to new locations. And, so immediately had my attention and just the tone looked right. The music sounded on point. It looked like it was returning to its roots of blending that those elements of horror and dry comedy. And I was optimistic and I, I always tried to maintain reservations because in the end, it's still a Hollywood movie and Hollywood movies, let's be real, are pretty fucking terrible right now. And there's been a bottomless pit of soulless cash grabs banking on nostalgia that lack heart. And so I always kept that in the back of my head where, you know, it's like, okay, that that can still be the outcome. And so I went to this movie just excited, but prepared to be disappointed. I was not disappointed. I am more than happy to say Ghostbusters 3 got made. 
And with all the unfortunate circumstances surrounding its history, because yeah, it, it's a damn shame that we didn't get to see the the four guys, you know, take take control of the lead one last time. But for the circumstances that this movie had to face, on top of having to honor the memory and legacy of Harold Ramis. I thought this movie was wonderful. Yeah, I'm in agreement too. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember going like, you know, they probably, the thir- I've for me going into this, like the third movie was the Ghostbusters video game back in, I believe 2013 is when that game came out. Cause I that think was like, it only, that was, that was like 2009, 2009. Okay. Cause I know yeah, it came out. Definitely yeah, prior to Harold Ramis passing. So yeah, I guess uh, yeah, Harold Ramis was the official yeah. third movie. Yeah, Ramis passed away in 2014. So yeah, I think he started getting really sick around uh, 2012, I think. Right. Okay. So then so then, you know, I was like I was like, well, I guess the third movie's never gonna happen. And then a third movie happens, but it's not the it's not the third movie. It's well I guess Sony's going to do a cash grab then. And then I remember when I saw the teaser for Afterlife, that first initial teaser that Jeff described. And I was like, huh, interesting. I saw who was directing. And I was like, ah, oh, Jason Reitman. And I'm like, I'm like, and I, in my mind, I'm like, has Jason Reitman actually had any credits to his name? And I'm like, and I looked it up and say, like, oh no, he did. Thank you for smoking, which is a really great, like political, film uh juno one of the classic uh young adult like coming of age films ever made um he did um young adult with charlie Theron. i i kind of remember i don't think i've seen it all the way through but um i thought that was pretty cool uh i saw that he was a producer on jennifer's body which is actually i actually didn't know that that's awesome he actually uh, and i hear that i understand that movie's been been re-examined in recent years and has actually gotten more of a better reception than um jeff you'll get a kick out of this do you know who what movie he was the executive producer on what whiplash jason reitman yep holy shit that's fucking awesome that that's honestly like wow so so two people i thought would not be fucking producers on that movie jason reitman and jason blum <laughs> yeah weird weird world isn't it um yeah but uh so i i was i was curious but like you know it was the son of ivan reitman so i'm like okay i'm willing to give this a shot so i'm like so then you know the first official trailer drops and i'm like very curious to see how this turns out because i'm like how the hell did the ecto one get all the way out in the middle of nowhere and then eventually you know the trailer start tr- the second or two trailers start dropping hints of like where the plot's going. I'm like, oh, so Egon somehow brought the e- brought the Ecto-1 out there. And then once the final trailer kind of dropped, I got an idea of like, oh, so Egon, this is all about Egon, like Egon's yeah. legacy, if you will. And you're kind of, and you're left in the back of your mind wondering like, is this going to be a, hopefully, hopefully since this is the son of Ivan Reitman, they're going to do Harold Ramis just, justice but there's also that thought of like they might fuck this up 
Yes. And I'll answer this right now. This is the best tribute to Harold Ramis possible. Like, they did it beautifully. It, it's... I mean, fuck it. Like, like we're probably going to be all over the place like usual, but should we just talk about that scene since we're kind of on topic? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. And uh, I just want to say right now, um, I just want to hear, I'll say right now, um, no, I'm going to wait. What, please describe that scene. So one thing you have to know going in is that the original cast don't have, don't play prominent roles. They're basically extended cameos, and that's kind of what I expected going in. So that personally didn't disappoint me, but every moment that the original cast has on screen counts. And so during the during the climax, you know, when all all hope seems lost, you and Gozer is uh, you know about to about to kill kill everyone. You just hear in the distance, hey, flat top. <laughs> and there they fucking are, just in the suits, standing side by side, ready to ready to kick some ass. And my my theater applauded like crazy. And then, you know, initially they, they get their asses kicked and and uh, but then you have McKenna Grace off on the side, who's a you know revealed to be Egon's granddaughter. You know, she's blasting the proton pack, and then you know kind of has a little bit of a grip on Gozer, but not too much. And then you just see this, this little hand come up, come out in the corner and it's Egon just helping support it for her. And like my jaw just dropped right there. And because one of the things that I loved throughout this movie was Harold Ramis has been has been gone for for about seven years now. And they still found a way to make to make him have a presence all throughout this movie without him actually physically being there. And I thought it was so beautifully done because it's you have you also just have this beautiful shot of of the Ghostbusters standing side by side blasting the proton packs together with with Egon's ghost in the foreground and then you just you have Winston just kind of looking disbelief for a moment and then then Peter and then Ray and once the once the day is saved then they they all just have an opportunity to say you know I, I'm sorry I doubted you you know I I miss you and I took that as as the like not as the character saying goodbye, but I the took that, cast members. Like right? I, I I took that as Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson saying goodbye to Harold Ramis. And it it was so profound and. It, it's going to affect affect you in a way that sort of depends on what your attachment to this franchise is. Like, if you've never seen a Ghostbusters movie, I still think you'd you'd have an enjoyable enough time. But the but if you're someone like in in our case who 
have history with with this franchise and adore that original movie. A moment like that it means fucking everything. And I think the last 10 minutes of this movie are worth the price of admission alone. And it's an opportunity for us to also say goodbye to, to Egon. And the, this could have gone horribly wrong in so many different ways. You know, the, the effects could have looked way off. They could have made the horrible mistake of having him talk. Like if this was not executed perfectly in every feasible fashion, then it would have just blown up in their faces and all the goodwill built up would have been tarnished, but they completely stuck the landing. The emotions that they were going for truly hit. And it's, it brought, it brought it all home like that. Excuse me. Uh, It's like, that's what I wanted in in 2016 just fucking honor Hale Ramis because we would not have this franchise on its iconic status without Harold Ramis's contributions and he deserved so much better than just having a bust head in as a prop in in a corner in the background like that that's all that was the extent of, of his tribute in the 2016 film. And yeah, I, I have no complaints on, on how this, on how this movie wrapped and, you know, just seeing, just seeing Egon's spirit ascend, ascend to the sky and just the simple text for Harold like that. Dude, like my, my theater was, I heard so much sniffling and cause I, I could tell that so many people attending that the screening were, were fans, long time fans. And like, th- this is definitely the most emotional film in, uh, in the whole franchise. And, and I think it's kind of fascinating that we're able to see the, uh, a more personal aspect of uh, of the lives of these characters that we never really saw because we primarily just saw them operate the business, but not much outside of that. And the way that when when we're first reintroduced to to Ray, and he's describing what broke the Ghostbusters up and how he's pissed off at at Egon because of the way he just took off. And it's, I don't know. Like I just, I thought that was so interesting just to explore this dynamic to the, to the original characters that we've never seen before. And one last thing I, I want to say is this is how you respect legacy characters because we've seen several iconic characters get uh, get disrespected and not treated with the care and attention or act out of character or 
whoever's taking over a new rendition of the property lacking immense understanding of what made that character so iconic to begin with. And everything that they did with, with the original cast in this movie, like while their screen time is minimal, it, uh, it was done with all with care, attention and the respect that, that they all deserved. And I also got to say, Jesus fucking Christ, Ernie Hudson does not age. <laughs> that man is 75 years old and he looks like he's 50. You like, yeah, you, if you listen to our Ghostbusters review, we already gushed about Ernie Hudson, but God damn it, Ernie Hudson, you were so goddamn cool. Yeah, he's only 75 and he still looks like he could be like in his 50s. Yeah, it's amazing how like how well he looks still. Um, like actually all all three of them, actually everyone, all the legacy characters who show up like look great. I thought Annie Potts looked good. Janine's oh, yeah. Janine's still like, oh, hello. How's everyone doing? Oh, okay. Yeah, your grandfather, he was a special guy. Um, I remember uh, uh, so when they when they confront ghosts, it's like, are you a god? Ray's like, as a callback, remember, Ray's like, no, then die. In this one, he's like, um, and then, <laughs> then Peter and Peter and Winston are like, come on, Ray. Oh, he's come like, on. <laughs> it's like, come on. Ray. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, they all look, they all are great. Um, and then, of course, when you get to and then um, we'll get to that in a sec. But here's what something I wanted to say. Um, so I had prior to the movie being released, I had texted Jeff. Hey, I have an idea because I actually had thought of this. And I'm like, hey, what if like Egon shows up at the end of the movie kind of like actually to help them out? And uh, he then he like he acknowledges everyone and then disappears. And you were like, I really hope they actually don't do that. So, yeah, because I my main worry with that is would be the execution because I was worried that it would be something like Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One where it's just distractingly awkward and you can tell it's an effect. Right. And, but this, this is how, this is how you do it. This is absolutely how, how you do it. So I just want to say for the record, um, so after having, having seen this, Literally, actually, just a, several hours ago, I want to say right now, someone pick up the phone because I fucking called it. <laughs> I'm so proud of that moment that like I fucking knew that they were going to do that. Um, but and again, they do it in a way that's so respectful because what it is, it's a it's a so prior. So lead up to the appearance of Harold Ram of the late of Harold Ramis being brought back to life to play Egon the way they do it. So at the beginning of the film, so you kind of see the last moments of Egon, but you never see his face. You kind of just see like a stand in actor or double like in his place. His face is in silhouette. If you do kind of see his face, it's too blurry or like the shot moves too fast. You can't even tell. And you never really see him like you never truly see him. And so throughout the film as his family, uh, discovers what's going on in town or like yeah so long story short his family which is his daughter and her son so 
his daughter, um, Callie, and then her son, Trevor, and her daughter, Ega, um, Phoebe, who is literally just a female version of Egon, in my opinion. Um, they arrive in Somerville in Oklahoma to take take care of the house or whatnot. And then, like, you kind of see, like, the ghostly kind of... You kind of see, like... You see how, like, Egon kind of, like... Even though you don't see him, you kind of just see, like some invisible force just like moving things or whatnot turning on lights and in my mind i'm just like oh egon's just i'm just like oh it's egon he's like redirecting everything so you learn how like you learn how uh you learn that like egon pretty much dropped everything because so long story short he figured out that in 2021 would be the next emergence of gozer the gozerian and so he goes to somerville oklahoma where evo shandor the evil architect that they mentioned in the first film built all mind everything and built a, a secret tomb underneath uh the mine um to summon gozer or whatnot and that material was used to build dana barrett's apartment in uh the first ghostbusters and that caused the manhattan cross rip of 1984 so uh, long story so long story short because of science like Callie fucking hates Egon for abandoning her. Uh, Ray hates uh, Egon for basically just splitting town and taking everything without any explanation. Um, but because of Phoebe and uh, Trevor, um, like investigating everything, like eventually they figure out what's going on. Um, basically, the invisible Egon, the invisible ghost of Egon, showcase shows. Um, Callie down to his little basement that uh, in order to get down, you have to take a pole down there. So uh, I will say right now, I think Ray would have been really happy for Egon to still keep the fire pole. <laughs> um, so, and he redirects her to this entire wall of pictures, meaning that Egon never forgot about his family at all. He was doing this so that his family could um, have, you know, could live or whatnot. And the rest of humanity would be safe. And so when you finally see the uh, CGI ghost of Egon, well, it, actually what it is, it's a body stand in with a very well done CGI face of an aged Harold Ramis as if Harold Ramis looked like pretty skinny or whatnot, because when, uh, as he passed Harold Ramis, you know, gained a, got a little bit fuller in the face, but you know, that happens with, that just that happens with age, depending on the person or whatnot. So all that buildup, seeing actually finally seeing Egon, it's just you you feel so emotional and you feel really good and you feel just you're happy that Egon is able to be there to help not only his former colleagues, but be there for his family. And he never says a word which I think was the right thing to do. Yes. Because if he spoke, that just would have, that would have ruined everything. So Egon just gives like nice, like loving. And uh, he gives him, he gives him that Egon smile, if you will, to his friends. Um, but strains, strains Trevor's collar, you know, uh, pulls the hair back up off of uh, Phoebe's face and then warmly hugs his daughter. And then he fades into nothingness which perfect like excellent 
and the buildup to his reveal, his final reveal as a ghostly Egon was just worth it. Like it was earned. It was natural. It felt right. And I think that's what makes that's what makes Egon in this film a much better portrayal of a legacy character. And let's say something like, oh, I don't know, um, fucking Halloween kills where everyone's acting like a fucking idiot or whatnot. Evil dies tonight! Evil dies tonight! I hate that movie so fucking much. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) you. I know how you feel about that movie, but fuck you. This didn't matter. (laughs) So anyways, though, but yes, I, I, I think that this, in all seriousness, this is really how you, this is really how you use legacy characters. Like, Peter, like, even though they're even though they are extended cameos, they're they're still the same characters. They're still quippy and, and whatnot. Like there's nice callbacks at the ver and the mid credits. There's a mid credit scene where uh, you see that it's not mentioned if they're married, but we do see that um, Peter is back with Dana Barrett. Um, and- By the way, Sigourney, uh, I don't give a shit. She's still foxy. You know, she's only a year older than. Um, then Bill Murray, did you know that? I did not know that. And she yeah. looks better. Than, she, she, <laughs> she looks better than Bill. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, I mean, Sigourney's always been beautiful. So, damn. <laughs> I love, I love how, like, I love how she's like using Peter's original like shock therapy test. That was, such a, that was such reading. a cute little moment. And basically, he's the one on the receiving end, and he gets every card right, but she still shocks him because she's like, "This is cathartic." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> What's great too is that we get to see Winston, right? Winston, we see that Winston, you know, he went from like, if there's a steady, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll do anything you say, to being like the most successful of all four of them. Which like he actually. I- I love that. I fucking love that. You 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 heard that like the fire that you heard Ray say earlier that like the station house was converted into a Starbucks, but no, like apparently that wasn't the case. Um, Winston held on to the firehouse after all this time. It was never touched. It's still in like you know. It looks very much like the condition it was when they first found the firehouse in the first movie. It was, it looks like, a dim- <laughs> how do you just, how does Egon describe the firehouse again in the first movie? I think this building should be condemned. <laughs> uh, God, yeah. Oh, God. And it looks like it should be condemned. So Perfect. There, so there's, there's one little thing I was hoping for. I was really fucking hoping that when, uh, when Janine goes to visit Winston at uh, at his company building, that uh, when the moment Winston said that I started this company with me and only one and one other person, I was fucking hoping that in that moment Lewis Tolley would walk in. <laughs> That's right, and he'd be like, "Hey, uh, Winston, uh, you, you know, I think uh, everything's uh, good here. You know, oh, hey, Janine, how are you? How are you? You, you doing good? Okay, good." <laughs> Yeah, so unfortunately, no Rick Moranis cameo, and it that bummed me out. I I was kind of I felt like that could go either way, but I would have at least even just a little expository line of dialogue just to 
just to know, like, what's Lewis up to? Well, I mean, so what? So um, in terms of other cameos, because we should definitely talk about the main cast, too. But um, so there's someone I pointed out to Jeff that he had no idea was in this. So so when they go to the so when the kids go to the tomb for Goza the Gozerian underneath the mountain, underneath the mine, they find the body of Evo Shandor that has been preserved for all this time. And Jeff didn't know this, but Evo Shandor is played by J.K. Simmons. And I remember your reaction was like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, because I I would have never I would have never made that connection. <laughs> Basically, somehow he'd been kept alive after all this time. And like whenever the ghosts would like try to escape, like he would wake up or whatnot. So eventually the ghosts do escape and he wakes up. And so so basically, Gozer is the main villain again. They uh, Gozer returns, and it's not Gozer is whatever Gozer pleases. So I'm just kidding. Gozer returns, and um, uh, Jeff also. Um, you did not know this, but um, I looked it up. Who played um, Gozer? They re- she remained uh, uncredited, but I can say this right now. Jeff, would you like to know who played? Um, Goes with the Gozerian under all that makeup. Yes. Olivia Wilde. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. What? Yeah. It looked like Olivia Wilde, too. Like, it, it looked like her. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm just blowing your mind right now, am I? <laughs> I'm looking at the IMDb right now, and I, I don't see... She's uncredited. Okay, so, okay, so I see J.K. Simmons uncredited. By the way, like when Evo Shandor returns, basically he's like, "I've come to serve you and help and worship you and whatnot." And Evo and like Gozer just like rips him in fucking half. So like he was wasted. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, it was a little wasted, but I think at the same time, like I think it was a a good way to to reemphasize the the threat of Gozer. So then let me ask you this. How do you feel about Gozer returning this time around? I mean, part of me would have liked to see a different villain, but it didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind it too much. I mean, especially since the whole plot centered around Eon abandoning everything because he's worried about the threat of Gozer potentially returning. And, and so I, I was like, eh, repeating a little bit of familiar territory, but eh, fuck it, I can roll with it. So that's one thing that, before we go any further, that's one thing I kind of wanted to address where it's like, so yeah, everyone loves that first movie. Obviously, this is this entire movie is fan service for and nostalgia playing on that first movie. I mean, it's well done. I feel like it is, like, it's done respectfully. Like it's there's no overplaying on it, but I feel like it relies a little too much on it. Like so, I mean, from what I understood, like the second movie is also meant to be acknowledged, but I'm like, where's the acknowledgement for the second movie? So that's so uh, I would, I would no, explanation I mean, good for that too, because like they don't I mean, even like Ray doesn't even mention the second movie when he's talking to Phoebe over the phone. So I just mean, like where is it? I think the only connection to the second movie I saw is Ray owning the 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 uh, the bookstore i mean yeah that is true but you know i, I mean like i would have been like so what happened to the painting of uh uh ivan or whatnot i mean obviously it turned into the painting of the four 
of the four Ghostbusters with baby Oliver. But like what I mean, like what happened to the events? I mean, no, no one mentions the events of that movie. All they ref- all they reference to is just the I original. Mean, if, I mean, if you ask me personally, I don't like Ghostbusters 2 that much. So I'm like, eh, fuck it. I don't care. I don't know. I just feel like a little knowledge, a little more acknowledgement would have gone a long way for me. You know, that's just me. But anyways, okay. So we, I feel like we've talked about the legacy characters for long enough. Let's talk about the actual like main characters, mainly the uh, Egon's family. So I feel because you mentioned, so we have like Phoebe, who's played by McKenna Grace. She is basically a twelve-year-old version of Egon. Um, she she's the star of this fucking movie. And she absolutely is. She that kid has a wonderful future ahead of her. You know, I was very impressed with her performance. I thought she was like genuinely, like genuinely. I think she is. She's almost. She's like. She's going the way of Millie Bobby Brown, almost in a, from like Stranger Things, in a way where, like, she is definitely the rising star. Like, she's the breakout star from um, this movie, where like Millie Bobby Brown was for Stranger Things. Oddly enough, her co-star Finn Wolfhard plays Trevor, who I actually, you know, he seemed like that typical like. You know, teenager who's just trying to like, God, you know, mom. <laughs> yes, she, he's that kind of teenager. But, you know, he's not, you know, it like he he's also really likable. I found him to actually be kind of a pretty cool guy. Like, so oddly enough, so he's the one who discovers the Ecto one out in the shed or whatnot. And he's the one who's going to fix it because he's like, it's the only car in working condition and he's going to work on it. He doesn't seem to mind like, oh, there's a weird Ghostbuster sign on there. And also there's. What's with all the giant sirens and everything and whatnot and all the generators on top? He doesn't seem to mind that. So he tries to get the car to work, but you kind of see that there's some wiring exposed, but you can kind of see a CGI invisible uh, Egon kind of just put the wires back together and he helps uh, Trevor fix the car. And basically once Trevor fixes, uh, once after Trevor goes on that amazing joyride in the fields with Ecto-1, Damn, that looked fun. I mean, dude, I think you and I would have had a blast. I would have definitely would have been like, punch it. <laughs> I mean, not. A, I mean, for one, just being able to drive Ecto one, but also just being like having like just driving around a field like that. Fuck that! That'd be so fun. All right, here's the question then: between you, or, between me and you, if we got the Ecto one, who's driving? Me, bitch. Fuck you! I'm driving. <laughs> I'm well no 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 okay we'll both drive we'll one we'll we'll take it we'll take turns how about that okay so translation uh i i get i get in the driver's seat and before you even get in i speed the fuck off well (laughs) fuck you (laughs) well no so then so then if that that makes me feel good motherfucker yahoo well then so here's the other question then so i guess if you're gonna drive that means i get to operate like that means i get to uh pull a lever and i get to like extend out of the ecto one and just start firing the proton pack see like um, like for, for some reason the moment that happened i just immediately thought of like fucking lost world when when they're like tracking down the dinosaurs and they're like the hunters are like they have like those those carts that uh that pull out and they yeah i don't know that that's how my that's how my mind works. I make unnecessary Jurassic Park parallels. So, by the way, can I just say something real? Qu- oh, by so I I I did I almost I want to say like once Trevor starts driving like uh, 
his sister and then her friend podcast, by the way, who I thought was a delight. I thought he was pretty. Ch- I, he was like he was almost like a younger Ray almost um, just he, with like his enthusiasm. I need to see the movie a second time, but he was kind of 50 50 for me where sometimes I'm like, all right, you're you're kind of getting on my nerves. And other times I'm like, all right, because I because for one comedy is really fucking hard to perform and for for these kids they all do a really good job and so i I don't think anyone can can take can take that away from them you know like it could it could be the writing it could be the directing like it could it could be a number of things and i mean for the most part the character of podcast seems to be getting pretty positive feedback so I don't know, maybe I just have a giant stick up my ass. But uh, yeah, podcast didn't really do it for me that much. Uh, I mean, maybe just because I was so uh, taken aback by how great uh, uh, by how great McKenna Grace was that I was like, all right, shut up, kid. I want to hear what she has to say. (laughs) So the other thing I wanted to mention, so what I wanted to say was like uh, Trevor, once he sees Muntry's just like, because like maybe there's no ghost, and then he sees Muncher's like shoot the proton pack, shoot the proton pack. <laughs> so, and by the way, that that was such a that was such a fun little sequence. Just like I love that chase. I that is like one of the like that is the best like that is like one of the best um, chases I've seen possible for this franchise. Like because like you really haven't really seen the Ecto One do like any action whatsoever in the previous two films. They just drive the Ecto One around. There's the there's that great conversation between uh, Ray and uh, Winston in the car about like uh, I love I love Jesus I love his style and then of course um, Ray quotes um, I think it's uh, oh God I forget what the verse is Revelations something right um, but so here it's finally nice to actually see the Ecto One more in action like it actually like the Ecto One almost feels like I mean it always felt like a character in its in of itself in the previous two films but it feels more like a character this time around like it actually is vital to the film itself and so i, I, I do have i to love say, that it got more of a prominent role in this i do have to say like because this is like jason wright was first time tapping into any kind of action because he comes from you know like a low-key character uh like low-key character dramas and so moving into action like that's a completely different fucking ballpark and i think he nailed it by the way he he handled it wonderfully so then so so then um i wouldn't be reminisce about i think i think i'd be doing the movie disservice without mentioning one of my favorite characters in the movie good old paul rudd as gary gruberson um that's sexiest man alive paul rudd thank you very much Yes, he is. But I mean, like Paul, you know, every time I see Paul Rudd on screen, like, like, I think he's just like, he seems like one of those genuine, like, you know, there's a lot of like, I mean, you know, every celebrity, what you say what you will about most celebrities in the business, but you know, like there are those celebrities who, you know, don't take their fame too seriously. Do try to use it for genuine good purposes. They're not trying to flaunt it out to anyone or whatnot. Like, like Keanu Reeves is a good, ex- Keanu Reeves is a good example. Shabak Bozeman is a great example. I'd say Paul Rudd is on that list too. Oh yeah. Definitely. And I would even say like, like maybe, maybe Chris Pratt, like, like people that don't come off as raging narcissists that so many people in Hollywood clearly are. 
And some of them are just, just like, yeah, I'm just seem like chill people that happen to be filthy fucking rich and really famous. And Paul really seems to have that. Paul really seems to be one of those people. And like, it shows on screen because he has like amazing, like he has amazing chemistry with everybody. It's, it's kind of a shame how he ends up because he goes by the way of Harold. No, he goes by the way of uh, Rick Moranis and that he also gets possessed by, uh, by the key. No, he's uh he's not Zool. No, he's, is he Zool or is he Vince Clortho? In the, uh, uh, Vince Clortho, I, I believe. Okay. Cause I and remember, I, I do have to say also like, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but the, uh, yeah, if I don't mention this, I'll probably forget. When uh, that sequence where he's in Walmart and it comes across the 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 terror dog, I fucking loved the fact that they used practical effects. Like like the That's uh, right, the, yeah. The the first reveal where you know the where it's you know it's eating eating the dog food, that is a fucking practical effect. And that that was just wonderful to see. Like that that just made it feel like so much more tightly connected with, with the first movie. Well, leading up to it though, we have all those mini stay puff marshmallow men, like all over the place. Yeah. just causing It's like gremlins almost all over. Yeah. No, it, it reminded me of both gremlins and like the, like the evil, uh, like the demented gingerbread men from, uh, from Krampus. It's been a while. I don't think I've ever seen Krampus. Oh, dude, I think you'd like Krampus. That movie's fucking wonderful. Um, I was going to say real quickly. Um, so going back to going back to Mr. Gruberson, then. So like what I love is that like he just doesn't give a sh- like. So basically they arrive in town at summer. And, I love um, he, he just keeps showing like he doesn't teach the students anything. He just, <laughs> he just shows them horror movies on VHS. He's just like, uh, here, here, I've got a movie. Look, I don't want look, I know you guys don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. How about you guys watch Cujo about a rabid dog who just who just like goes crazy or whatnot? Like and then the next movie he shows is fucking Chucky. I'm just like I'm what? just like, God, this is the best fucking teacher ever. <laughs> Fuck yeah, then, Mr. Rubinson. And then, like, and then you also find out that, like, he also um, is a Ghostbusters fan. Like, he knows about the Manhattan Cross Rips. Like, the moment when uh, he sees the trap, right? That um, that uh, Phoebe and podcast bring, and he's like, "Wow, is that a, that's a rep, that's a really cool replica." And then he sees something come out of it. He's like, "Is this thing real?" And he's like, "Dude, let's go test it." And so what they do is they just take it out to the. They, they they put jumper cables on the thing and then like and then like they unleash the trap or whatnot and you're just like um let's get out of here um i don't want to be held liable <laughs> i love this god damn it paul rudd is a is a treat um and I, I also I, I also have to mention uh carrie coon is fucking great in this like i yeah she is yeah i i do like the fact that they uh, they portray her as just this very like a very relatable person like someone like like she came off as a very realistic portrayal of a mother that's trying to that's down on her luck and is trying to remain optimistic for her kids but you know is is, is struggling financially and and I don't know like it's like I've 
I've seen uh let's just say that I can uh I've seen situations like that and it uh, this was very uh very relatable in a way and I thought because uh, I, I think the part of the charm of the first movie is that these characters feel like real people and and I feel like that was uh, that was definitely lost in uh, in the uh, in the 2016 film where everyone was just trying to tell shitty improv for for two hours and this uh like this movie really took it back to its grounded roots where you do where there's elements of of uh there's that creepy element there's the element of dry humor there's the relatable characters that feel like they're grounded in reality they just happen to be thrown in, into this crazy supernatural adventure and God, I really liked this movie. <laughs> this is no, you're you're not wrong because I, you know, there's a scene that kind of breaks my heart a bit. Where you know, so after, so after their amazing chase trying to catch Muncher, you know, unfortunately the kids get arrested <laughs> in a pretty charming scene, kind of. But like it, it, you know, she's like she's pissed that um that uh, Phoebe got into trouble like this, and you know, Phoebe's trying to tell her like, you know grandfather wasn't nuts why didn't you tell me that our grandfather was egon spengler a ghostbuster and you know she just hate so up to this point we mentioned it earlier you know she eventually finds out that egon was basically keeping track of her all all her life without her realizing it but you but she's been raised to believe that you know uh, egon was too obsessed with science over family and so like she thought he was nuts phoebe says no he wasn't nuts and what she said about him also kind of broke my heart. She's like, well, then he was an asshole. So, but, and then obviously she, that changed because she real because then she, because then basically Egon points her to the truth. Um, so, I mean, no, you're right. I think Carrie is great in this. Like she truly, she captures, she's actually a pretty strong independent woman, I think. Oh, for, definitely. For a like, especially for, because, you know, you want you want good you want good well written strong female characters, um, I mean just characters in general. But I think Callie does definitely fit that bill. I mean, like she's I mean after she's um, like after like after she's like untransformed from uh, Zool Zool motherfucker Zool, um, she's uh, she's you know she's brought back to she's unpossessed and so she's. So they escape, and she's instrumental in helping set up the trap for uh, getting um, Gozer trapped or whatnot. And so, yeah, she she plays her part. I think like she's she does her part spectacularly. I feel like and uh, yeah, yeah. One thing I really want to want to add on to that is you know like if you're uh, like when it comes to writing quote unquote strong female characters, it's it's really a balancing act because you need to to make sure that there's strong writing behind them and make sure that you can still have them be a strong person but you can't lose track of them you know just being like from not being a relatable person otherwise they just come off as being an obnoxious Mary Sue and it's it just it won't work like they become unrelatable and it's hard to get 
behind them. And they show from the get-go that she, her heart, she, she loves her kids. Her heart is in, is in the right place, but she's an imperfect person. Like she's not good with money. She, uh, she has all these, she, she has all this emotional baggage because of what, uh, you know, because of her past of, you know, her, uh, like her disdain for her, her father. And so they actually give layers of dimension to flesh out her character. And it's okay to add imperfections for a female character because that's, I, I, I hate to be the one to break it, break it, break the news to you people, but people aren't perfect. We all got our flaws and it's, when it comes to writing characters, it's okay to do that. I know it, it's a crazy fucking concept these days, but it's true. And when you hold true to that, you actually create a relatable, strong, stronger character in the end, because this allows her to have a complete character arc by the end. Like when she's, because by the time Egon's ghost shows up, she's able to set aside her 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 beef with with her father and just just em- embrace him and know exactly that you know like without even saying anything admit that she was wrong she loves him and she's sorry that she doubted him and you know again without without any dialogue right there and her performance just completely sells that. So uh, yeah, it's like overall just the, the performances from, from the new characters are for the most part, pretty, pretty fucking spot on. And like McKenna Grace is definitely getting uh, a lot of the praise right now, which rightfully rightfully so, because you could tell that she, she did her fucking homework and in what someone related to Egon would behave like like she absolutely killed it but yeah carrie coon should not be overlooked because i i legit thought she, she was she was fantastic right no i definitely agree i mean like and then like we haven't said much about finn wolfhard but like if you watch stranger things you already know he's great like he's already a great actor have you seen have you seen part one of if you've seen it part one you already know he's great so i mean like there's like Finn just knocks it out of the park again. I feel like, cause he is a pretty great talent and, you know, he captures that, uh, you know, angsty kind of like teen who, uh, steps up to the challenge pretty well. I feel like, so, uh, yeah, I mean, props to him too, but yeah, the real props really go to McKenna and Carrie, um, like both phenomenal. I feel like, like, especially McKenna, like for a girl, her, you know, cause like, child actors i mean even though she's i think she's only like 15 she's technically a teen actress at this point you know like we're probably kind of a hit and miss we'll, we'll you know prob- we'll prob- sometimes we'll probably buy because they because this movie was delayed by a year so she was probably like 12 by the time they they shot this okay well the point still stands you know like child actors are kind of they're they are they are kind of a hit or miss they're also kind of like a little difficult sometimes to work with like i think there's a there's a director i uh, there's I was listening to a podcast and like uh, the this actor uh, talked about this director that she worked with on television who like talked about how he kind of hated working with child actors, not because that they weren't horrible or anything, because, he you know, he felt like it was like child abuse 
or whatnot. Cause you're like, Hey, stop fucking around. Do your actual stop fucking around so we can shoot the scene. But you know, like it seemed like McKenna really was a true professional on this. You know, Finn's been at this for a long time, so he, he knows what he's doing. So, I mean, like, yeah, no, I think everyone gives a great performance in this case. So yeah, everyone's doing great. Um, what I, what I want to get to right now is sound. Um, yes. And can I just say, sound, hold on. sound and cinematography. Absolutely. Um, can I just say, um, how much of a wide smile I had when McKenna first powered up that proton pack. I was like, okay, like the moment just hearing that glorious sound again with those beautiful theater speakers, like, like my, my seed vibrated a little bit. Cause like the sound of the proton packs, that's one of my favorite sound, like sound effects in movie history. And just hearing that brought back with full force wonderful fucking wonderful man <laughs> i agree and well no so uh, the other thing about the proton pack i wanted to quickly bring up too is like i love how like this is actually the first time you've actually kind of seen the inner workings of a proton pack like you know because i think we described it in the in our ghostbusters episode but you were kind of just kind of like how you were like like you know they don't really explain the proton pack you just kind of buy that oh econ probably just spent a weekend on this in the spare time you just question. You don't really question it. It's it's just there. But here you kind of see you kind of see the inner workings of it, and even uh, even like um, even Phoebe's like, how the hell did he make this work? Because it's pretty it's pretty fucking impressive how Egon built that. But you know, being Egon the way he is, like, it, it, I mean, like it it, it works really well. Uh, it, it's a it's kind of a good explanation. But the other thing I really like too is when she first fires the proton pack, the phaser, not the phaser, but, um, but she fires it and just hearing the zapping of the proton pack again, just like, ah, I love this. Well, back. but here's something I wanted to talk about real quickly. So the composer for this film is a man named Rob Simison, right? Yes. Um, we did not get a chance to talk about the score that, um, what was his name again? Composed uh, Elmer, for the first one, Elmer Bernstein. Elmer Bernstein, right? But you know what I loved about the f- what's what's always iconic is the how symbol of a sound of a soundtrack Ghostbusters had. Um, it was very yeah, much there's, there. There's such great personality to to that original score, and I I love that that was basically brought back for this movie. Like it knew when to be, it knew when to be kind of a more comical kind of soundtrack to it. It had a very spooky atmosphere to it at some points, and so when it really ramped up the horror elements, it ramped up the horror elements. Because I remember what I always remember too is like when from the first film when you when you first see uh, uh, Gozer take the form of it's a safe puff marshmallow man. Uh, it's so fluffy and harmless. Um, and then you hear like the you hear the monster like music amp up and you're like, oh, that's great. I love this. And Rob Simison is able to take those cues and bring them back to make it sound like because I think Elmer Bernstein since passed, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, I think he passed away in the 90s, I believe. Right. OK. So when I hear this, I'm thinking like, did Rob Simison also revive Elmer Bernstein to recreate the score? Cause I mean, obviously he brings something new to the score too. Like th- he does have his own original sounds to it as well, but 
just at points hearing the el- hearing what sounds like Elmer Bernstein coming back to life oh, fucking again nailed it like nailed it I feel like just in this case um you're more of a soundtrack guy yourself so I'll let you describe the rest of it so yeah honestly like I uh because I part of uh part of why Ghostbusters 2 doesn't work for me is because I I think the because Elmer Bernstein didn't return to compose the second movie because he he composed a lot of comedies during the 80s and I think he just wanted to do uh wanted to branch off into other things at that point and I always felt the score was really lacking and it just didn't it didn't match the personality of of that first movie and and so it it always just kind of it vibed with me differently in a kind of in a negative way and hearing hearing those familiar cues brought back just really made it feel it really hit much closer to home and and uh one thing that i i also really want to mention is uh you know the uh because uh, a lot of the uh, paid chills, I mean, professional film critics are uh, are spewing right now, are saying that this movie is full of uh, pathetic fan service, and and I, I kind of want to talk about that. And when it comes to fan service, I would I would say uh, in this movie, like like yeah, there, there's a couple kind of cringy moments like where like where the the sheriff is like well who are you gonna call and the uh like there's a close-up of a of a twinkie and it's like okay like i, I laughed so hard when the twinkie appeared yeah i was just like <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like so in terms of like when it has like little tips of the hat to uh to what came before for the most part i'm okay with it i would say uh, I would say the best example on how not to do it are the Star Wars sequel trilogy, because those movies, in, in my opinion, uh, essentially use fan service as a cheap method of trying to generate excitement to make up for poor storytelling and character development and are essentially using what people are familiar with as a crutch and but with nothing else to back it with nothing else to back it up that's not how you do fan service because that just says that you don't know what you're doing and you're just pulling shit out of your ass from the past because you don't know what the fuck you're doing in this case you have a movie that is actively going out of its way to uh, to still tell a good story, to still take the franchise in a different direction, to still flesh out these characters in a in a in a unique way. And throughout throughout the journey, you get all these nods to the original movie. And being that this is made by the director of the original movie's son. I don't see why he wouldn't have all these little tips of the hat to his father's masterpiece. And so, yeah, like there's a couple moments where it's, uh, yeah, it's a little cringy, but 
you know, it, it at least it, it it always came off as sincere, and it it never bothered me personally to where it, it took me out of the movie. Like if it it was fan service done tastefully, and and uh yeah, I will say the um I really. I really do think that this uh, this movie was the best it possibly could have been with the given circumstances because I would have never guessed this movie would have actually gotten made. I never would have guessed that I would be completely happy with the idea of a Ghostbusters movie where the original Ghostbusters are in it for about 10 minutes and making it post the death of Harold Ramis. And yet it all worked out because the people making it clearly had so much love and respect for that original film and the legacy that it left. And it feels like, it feels like this was a movie that the studio, because Sony is one of the worst studios when it comes to meddling. And in this case, it just felt like they were allowed to make the movie they wanted to make. And I'm very glad that they basically owned up to their mistakes that they made with the 2016 film and just said, all right, we fucked up. Do your thing. And I think that I, I, I so I, I do have to commend them for that tremendously. And because, yeah, this movie was much better than than I anticipated. It's 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 a beautiful looking movie with gorgeous shot composition and lighting. The score is a wonderful homage. Like if, if that gets a I hope it gets a vinyl release because I will totally buy that soundtrack on vinyl. Um, I love that it pays respect to the original film, to the franchise, to those original characters. The, the few moments we get with those original cast members, you're never going to forget it. It's one of those things that I'm so glad I was able to see that on the big screen with a packed house that was just as enthusiastic. Like there was a God, there there's this little kid that was sitting next to me and he was having the time of his fucking life. Like when the, when the chase scene was going down, like he was just like, he was just so enthusiastic. Like, like saying like to his parents, like, did you see that? Did you see that? And normally, like, I hate it when kids talk during movies, but something about this just felt it felt a little more special. Like, it kind of, like, and when, when the theme song kicked in, you know, he, he was dancing, and, and I think that just kind of solidified the fact that Ghostbusters is just timeless. And it's going to, you know, even after all the original cast members are no longer with us, which I, I'm, I will hate it when that day comes, but 
when that inevitably happens, it's wonderful to just know that these movies will not be forgotten and they will continue to be passed down generation after generation. And I think that this, that's essentially the, the theme of this movie is passing the torch to that next generation. And I felt this was, there's a million different ways this movie could have gone wrong. And I'm so fucking glad that this worked. And there, there is set up for more, but if you ask me personally, I am 100% okay with, with them just ending it here. We got, you know, we, we finally got that third movie that we've, that we've, we've always been curious about seeing Harold Ramis was given the greatest send off we could have possibly asked for. We got to see the original Ghostbusters, including Ramis, side by side one last time. We saw the next we saw the next generation being you know getting the torch passed to passed to them. And it just it felt right. It felt like as as someone who holds that first movie in a very high regard i i can definitely say that i i'm very happy with how this movie turned out and i'm i'm definitely going to go see this movie a couple more times because i i want to support it i want this movie by the time we're recording this we we don't know what the first weekend box office results are like but i i hope this movie is a resounding success because everyone involved did such a wonderful job and tremendous job. Yeah. And I think that their, uh, their efforts need to be rewarded. So for the love of God, if you're a fan of the original Ghostbusters film, please go check this out. I, I think I would, I will say if you've never seen Ghostbusters or if you don't have any personal attachment, it'll definitely affect you in a different regard. Because as like as like a stand like taking my uh like my fan perspective out of it like yeah there's there's some plot inconsistencies it, there's some questionable shit like well isn't it kind of weird how this little eighty pound girl can just so casually operate this very heavy looking proton pack with no problem whatsoever but just like the original movie you know it's like you don't really question how the proton packs are made you just fucking roll with it because everything else around it is it's so fun you're interested in seeing where it's all going and as as a fan as someone who was relatively skeptical going in i'm very happy how this turned out and uh I need to see it one more time to uh, to def- to just be absolutely positive, but I think this will definitely be one of my favorite films of the year. I, as uh, as someone who always wanted that true third film, I I'm very glad that that we got it. It wasn't the third movie that I always envisioned, but 
the given circumstances, you know, with Harold Ramis and you know, all the other behind the scenes drama, it was just never going to happen. And the fact they were able to construct this movie in the way that they did and still having Egon be having his presence felt all throughout the movie without being seen or having a single line of dialogue. It's I couldn't have asked for much better. Jason Reitman should be should definitely be commended for the wonderful job he's done. Uh, yeah, ev- everyone involved, the cast, the crew, you guys killed it. And as as a fan of this franchise, you know, thank you. Like this, we fucking needed this movie. So, um, everything he said. So <laughs> <laughs> really, because you probably you actually pretty said it pretty much actually pretty well. Well, pretty well. I like. There's no way I could have said that better myself, to be honest. But um, no. Um, what I will want to add on real quickly, then real quick. Uh, there's something I forgot to mention when we talked about just how amazing Ernie Hudson looks. Um, uh, I remember at the beginning, I, I remember when that mid credit scene start, uh, when that post credit scene starts, Winston's like, well, you know, Egon was the brains. Ray was the heart. Peter kept us all, Peter kept it all cool. And, uh, and, Annie's, and, uh, Janine's like, what are you guys? He's like, I got the sex appeal. Damn straight, Winston. You smooth <laughs> motherfucker. So also, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I absolutely loved when when Winston said that you know, like, like I I started this billion dollar corporation, but I'll always be a Ghostbuster. I damn right, straight. I I clapped because I'm like I'm like fuck you, Winston. I smiled when he said that. That was just such a great moment. But yeah, no, you're right. Um because at the heart of it all you know even though he went like i said he went in for a steady paycheck and he ended up he ended up loving what he accomplished especially okay so now here's the biggest mystery i have like what the fuck did winston do to get so much money like what kind of business do you think he runs yeah fuck it doesn't matter (laughs) whatever like I'm, I'm just assuming that, eh, it's Winston. He's awesome. <laughs> he, he, he was gonna find success regardless. Good, good for wonder, you, Winston. I wonder. So even the, so, so then, Mike. I guess the and we 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 kind of kind of figured out if it wasn't Lewis, I think his first employee was probably most likely Janine. Then I can see that for sure. Um and I, I do like how they uh I love how that scene uh that post credit scene began with a deleted scene between Was that a del- was that a deleted scene? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, that was initially a deleted scene from I was the like, first. I don't really remember that from the first film. Yeah, and I I love how they 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 brought that back in and and uh oh god, like just the I love the image of Winston opening the doors to the firehouse, stepping in, and just having the Ecto One just roll right in, and he just. By the way, and he he restored it. Yes, and the the way that he just puts his hand on the car, I'm like, 
Oh, I love this. I love this. Do you think uh, so? Even so, potentially we make it a fourth film. Although, let's just leave it at that. But do, would you like to think that even though maybe a fourth film won't happen, um, do, would you like to think that maybe he restarted the business again? I could. I could kind of see that happening. Um, I mean, I. I really fucking doubt they'll get Bill Murray again because I I can't imagine how hard how hard it was to persuade him, especially well, well right like especially after because he he basically had he was con- contractually obligated to show up in the 2016 film, and so he he had no fucking choice like otherwise Sony was basically going to sue him into oblivion, and so with uh. So when it came to to this one, I I wonder if if it was just like you know, hey, we're doing this movie for for Harold, like we like we we need you, man. And so I I imagine like that probably won him over to ultimately show up. So I I can't imagine Bill Murray coming back again. But even if it's just Ray and Winston, and they just say that, oh, you know. Peter's enjoying retirement with Dana. Well, I'm, the, I'm saying, well, no, no, I'm saying like, no, I'm not saying a fourth movie is going to happen, but I'm just saying, would you like to think that, um, in the end, it looks like, it looks like, uh, Winston's going to restart the Ghostbusters. Oh thing? yeah. 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 I mean, if, and honestly, like, like, just, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I want a fourth film, but I'm just saying based upon how it looks like it ended. Yeah. Does it look like Winston's starting the business up again? No. And I, it, it looks, it looks like that's the case. And I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that's wonderful. Uh, so then, so then if they did do, so then it makes you wonder then. So it looks like in this case, um, so, so I'm not saying a fourth movie should happen either. I'm just kind of speculating, speculating because we mentioned how like this is the perfect passing of the torch. So in my opinion, if if Winston does restart the Ghostbusters business, I see him being, you know, the head of the Ghostbusters. Uh, maybe Ray giving some advice or whatnot, but it's really going to be focused on like it would really be focused on like the new kids. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be the Egon siblings. Uh, I mean the, the Egon siblings. Uh, Egon's. I'm not saying Egon's kids would be a part of it, although they probably would be somehow. Specifically, I'd say Phoebe because she's definitely got uh, Egon's technological brains to it. I mean, um, I I don't I don't really see the the kids coming back, especially if they if they bring uh, if they're restarting the business in New York. You know, it, it's like what, what are these kids just gonna fucking drop out of school and go be Ghostbusters? Like I, Fair enough. yeah, I I don't see that happening, but that's why I'm I am 100 percent okay with them stopping right here. Like it if, does leave you with the idea that it looks like Winston is restarting the business. That's, yeah, and it's good enough. For, and, that's good enough for you, basically. Yeah, and like to me, like that that leaves just enough to the imagination to where you you can you can create your own continuation. I like to think that the red containment. Um, the red containment unit that la- that flashes red is just the signal of like, all right, everything's back at business. That's the future of Ghostbusters. We're not saying a fourth movie will happen, but we're just saying 
it looks like the legacy of it looks like the legacy is good in this case. One more thing I wanted to bring up real quick. Then um, remember how like uh, uh, in the first movie, how Janine's like, "What else do you do in your spare time, uh, Doctor Spangler?" I collect spores, molds, and fungus. You go down to the basement, uh, down the fire pole in the basement. He's got spores, he's got spores, molds, and fungus. And I, I do like how, uh, you know, like it, it was always such a, it was always such a subtle thing where, you know, it's uh, during Egon's downtime, he's always like snacking. And when, yeah, when Phoebe's going through his jumpsuit, find, <laughs> finds a crunch bar. Hey, there's that gr- there's that funny little moment like after the library scene where <laughs> Penguin's just like Egon, I'm going to take some of the things I said, uh, some of the things I said about you. Just like starts handing him a crunch bar. You, <laughs> you've earned it. <laughs> and then and then of course when they get pulled over and they have to check the golf compartment and I'm like you see the Twinkie and I'm like I'm just thinking of uh, Winston going that's a big Twinkie. <laughs> Damn straight it is. All right. Well, I think that's enough gushing over Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, we pretty much are saying, yeah, everybody, this is this is the perfect third movie. Hollywood can is... still make good movies, guys. I and, know uh, it's fucking crazy. And and anything, this is this is the perfect send off for Harold Ramis. Like this is truly the best way to honor his legacy and. That's all I have to say on that part. But anyways, then, folks, it has been another fine Saturday special here at the show. I'm not even going to bother with the rest of the usual stuff. That's just for the main installments. But anyways, we'll be back soon with some new new webbing, if you will. Um, I'll just leave that hint there, but you might have heard the advertisement for the previous one. But Batman! In the meantime, folks, folks Bustin' makes us feel good. I'm Eric. Uh, insert sexual innuendo based off that previous line. I'm Jeff. Damn it. <laughs> Stay shiny, everybody. Have a good one. Next level. Next level.